Um, my wife Erica and I were in Israel for 10 days, um, and man, it was a great experience. I think, uh, first, I just want to say thank you, church family, for giving us your blessing to, to go there. Uh, man, it was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. It's really hard to even just acknowledge how wonderful of an experience it was. <laughs> It is so good to be back with you guys, though. Being gone for two weeks, I know I begin to feel it and feel I miss my family here. And so I'm so grateful to be back and so grateful for the things that God has instilled in us. Even as we were worshiping here, you know, it's been two weeks since we've been able to be amongst you and worshiping together. I turned to Eric and I said, oh, my gosh, so much of this is just coming to life because of a lot of the things that even we're singing today and uh, and a lot of the the things that I've seen and experienced are coming to life with the words that I'm professing and so it just means a lot to me um yeah I want to get emotional already (laughs) that's cool yeah it it, it's been it's been great um I want to pray and I want to get into into the passage some um but as Erica mentioned though we you know people often say in fact Alberto said he he heard, uh, before we left, he said, I heard that when you come back, you read the Bible in 3D. And uh, that, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Apparently, last week, Jeremy said something to the effect of, Pastor Eric will never read the Bible ever again. And I, I think he meant the same ever again. Because one of the other brothers came up to me yesterday. He's like, I'm eager to hear about it. I just want to find out why you're never going to read the Bible again. And I was like, where did you hear that at? So... So I promise I will read my Bible, um, but I won't read it the same uh, by God's grace. So, hey, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll get talking more and sharing about our trip. There's a lot going on in our city, and which is why that prayer meeting on the 23rd is super important. We're going to have a new mayor here pretty soon, fam. And uh, these are like wide-open elections for all 21 people who want to run for mayor. Anyone else out there want to run for mayor? Anyone? Yes, we got, we got plenty. Uh, we need to be praying for our city. This is actually really important, a really important transition. And, of course, our community for us as a family. I know we all got so much going on, church family. And so we just want to make sure that we just bring it before the Lord. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll continue to dig here together. Father, I, I love you, Lord. And um, I know Erica and I are just filled with so much gratitude for um, our family here in this room, our brothers and sisters. Um, thank you for the love that they share with us, God. We feel it. And uh, thank you, God, for the love that you share toward us. Lord, uh, we love Chicago. And as messed up as it is, and as frustrating as it is, and as much as times we feel like we just want to get out of here and go somewhere warm, um, we, we pray for this city, Lord. We pray for our mayoral elections. And God, I pray that you'd raise up that man or that woman um, to take the helm here in our city, uh, to, to be an advocate for change, Lord. Uh, God, we know there are problems with our public schools. God, we know there are many diligent, great teachers who are overworked in their classrooms, the student-teacher ratio is astronomical. Um, many feel unappreciated and even, um, God, just not supported. God, we know that our neighborhoods have so much violence, and our police are over, uh, just overwhelmed by it, God. And many, many great women and men who serve um, as officers in this city who, who, who want to be advocates for safety and really want to do the best they can, God, and they, they just feel overwhelmed. We pray for protection. In our, in, our, in our neighborhoods. God, we pray for affordable living in our, our city, God. We know taxes are raising. And so many of us want to be here. We want to, we want to reach our, our city. And, 
And lots of times we're looking at our, our paycheck and we're looking at our mortgage or our rent and we're saying, God, how is this going to work? So God, I, I just pray, God, that you'd bring some, some new change in our, our city uh, that allows us, God, to be the salt and light. God, we, our, our confidence is not in government. I just want to say that, Lord. Our confidence is in our King, Jesus Christ. Uh, but Lord, we just pray that you would guide, uh, guide us and guide this city of Chicago. Lord, bless our neighborhood, Father. I pray that as we look in this winter and we look ahead into the spring and into the summer, that we would think creatively of ways that we can get out of our comfort zones and uh, talk to people who don't know Jesus and share with them the hope of salvation, forgiveness, and eternal life he offers. God, we want to be about your work. We don't want to waste our lives. We know that life is short. We know that hell is real. And we know heaven is glorious, God. And so we want to live in light of that. Uh, bless us, bless uh, Erica and I as we share this morning to open your word. God, may your Holy Spirit truly empower us and fill us, God. And God, may your church here at the brook have the ears to hear what your spirit is whispering to them or shouting to them and give us the eyes of faith to see these things as well. Pray all this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. So as we say, yes, we were there in Israel for 10 days. Um, just want to give a shout out to those who joined us. Uh, so Megan Molina is here, uh, Jeremiah Navarro, and then Casey Moreno, one of my students at Moody, who's ended up coming with us as well as here. Uh, that's super cool. Uh, we know that two other sisters of ours at the Brook went back in, I think, November. It was um, Atala and Janet went out to Israel. And so um, I, I'm sure they have plenty of stories to share as well. So uh, this was a, a real fun experience. We, we did a lot. We laughed together, um, especially when Jeremiah sang a song from Nacho Libre to, with our tour guide uh, at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. <laughs> it was so, probably not appropriate, but it was fun. Um, we, uh, we cried together. We did, we did cry together. It was so, you know, even coming back, people have said, like, what's your favorite experience or your favorite spot or favorite moment and you know the first moment I feel like the that was an oh oh my lord experience was on Mount Precipice and I will talk a little bit about that but then we we experienced then Magdala and all that Jesus was doing there and with Mary Magdalene and and that became an amazing experience. And, and then we experienced like Capernaum and all that Jesus was doing there. And then we experienced the garden tomb and get, well, Gethsemane and, and the Mount of Olives. And so it's really hard to, to pick one. But when we did have a, a moment in the garden tomb area where we were able to see really why they believe that this is the potential spot and how it really truly is a garden and how it overlooks a, an actual or it's near an actual tomb of the first century and what that potentially would have been like and how the crusaders came and marked that spot and thinking that this is indeed the spot where Jesus his body was and and then we had a, a, an amazing tour guide as well so not all of our tour guides were uh, believing profession believers in Jesus but this tour guide actually was and so that in itself was an, an amazing time mm -hmm. and then we were able to share just our, our group communion together and Eric was able to give communion or 
how do you say that? Um, the Lord's Supper for, for all of us. And then we just had an amazing time of worship together. It wasn't necessarily planned, but it was a moment that, you know, I will not forget. So lots of just uh, emotion, of thankfulness, of gratitude, and not so much, obviously, and we kept reminding ourselves this is not in the space. It's not, you know, we're not attached to things or relics or, but it's the power that was displayed in this place and the power of our God to do that and the power of our God to choose us to become partakers now of his glory. And so when you start thinking about all of that and the ramifications, it just becomes overwhelming to the point of tears. And so that was a moment yeah. for I think all of our group we would say yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> we sang together a lot we ate well we had a lot of falafels <laughs> a lot of shawarma shawarma was off the chain in Israel so let me show you some pictures of, of our, our group first of all you're going to see the Philos Hispanic Leadership Initiative um, so there were 36 of us on our bus Eric and I were the spiritual leaders we're called faculty we had two fellows who were college students who had gone previously to Israel um, but now going as, as kind of peer leaders. And then the other 32 people on the bus. So in the middle there is our tour guide. It was a, just a lot of fun. Uh, the next picture, you see uh, Eric and I were able to share devotionals at different biblical sites. This was like crazy surreal to us. So here I'm teaching at the southern wall of the temple courts. That wall you see behind us there um, is the wall that, that's built around where the temple was. Uh, the temple has now since been destroyed in A.D. 70. But the steps just to the right of where I'm standing were steps from the first century and would have likely been the steps Jesus himself walked up to get into the temple. And um, that was just really, really cool. Uh, next picture. Some of the pictures are delayed because of their size. So there's um, Erica teaching at the Mount of Olives. You want to talk about uh, that, that experience for you? Oh, man. This was really hard to do because, I mean, how do you articulate Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? And, and two, I think because the prior two, we had gone to Nazareth, and so we had learned about an olive press and the process of an olive press and the three, the crushing of an olive press. And so when we think about Jesus being in the garden and the crushing that he knew he was about to experience and the three times that he asked the Father, you know, take this cup from me, yeah. not my will, but your will be done. And so even just to try to articulate a little bit, Jesus talking about that cup of the Father's wrath, I mean, it... it any words are inadequate, you know, um, but we had an amazing time, too, of some, some quiet time together on the Mount of Olives. So you can see just the city of Jerusalem just behind us. And so between where Erica's standing and the city, there's a valley called the Kidron Valley, um, which shows up a lot in the Old Testament. But it says in Scripture, when Jesus gets arrested here on the Mount of Olives, actually at the base of the mountains where the Garden of Gethsemane is, where Jesus prayed that this cup pass. And Judas shows up and gets, Jesus gets arrested. It's at this mount, the bottom of this hill here. And from there, Jesus gets taken into the city. So it's not very far. They call it a Sabbath day journey because you're only allowed to walk so much on the Sabbath. But it's only a matter of about 300 yards. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it's just really amazing to kind of see the scale of it personally. I just yeah. love that picture with the Dome of the Rock in the background. Yeah, that was really mind-blowing for me how how small Israel is in terms of like location and, and walking distance and how close, you know, and so when you read scripture, you're like, oh, so it was from here to here, not, not, not very long, or you kind of understand how many, even like a day apart, or because yeah. when you think of Israel, literally, it's about the size of New Jersey, which is one of our smaller, one of our smallest states, 
So. Yeah. yeah. Um, next picture is the garden tomb. Um, as Erica said, this was super surreal. Um, there are basically two locations where they believe Jesus was crucified and buried in, in Israel. This is one of the two locations. Um, this one has everything that would lead you to believe this was the actual one. We don't know 100%. Um, but we do know something like this, and that was just a great uh, emotional experience. I also had uh, some, some other folks. One of the things that stood out to me is our group, we were able to go inside the tomb one at a time or six at a time. And I just kind of stood back, and as I watched students come out of the tomb, I'm having this visual of people leaving the tomb alive. And um, I do need you guys to know that we searched that tomb pretty thoroughly, and it's, it's empty. Amen. All right. <laughs> Amen. Even as we were singing up from the grave, he rose again. Like I'm picturing, yeah. you know, because this is a first century tomb regardless. And it's a tomb that you can roll the stone over. It's a tomb that's in a garden. It's yeah. a tomb that's near a location that looks like a skull when we talk about the place of the skull. And so a lot of things come like full circle. And so to have that in your mind and to think, you know, and Jesus is not there because he yeah. is alive, yeah. you know. It's super cool. So like Erica said, it's not about the location, right? It's not about relics. But we did grab a handful of dirt from there, just so you know. <laughs> and a few other spots. All right? <laughs> I, I think I almost got in trouble for plucking an olive branch from an olive tree on the Mount of Olives. Someone yelled at me in Hebrew, and I was like, I just kind of ran, ran away. Just true story. In fact, let's, let's be real talk. Uh, here, here is that olive branch I sniped. So... <laughs> I might have one, too. <laughs> she, she took, like, a branch, though. It's like, like if, if it's in her Bible, it's, like, sticking out. I'm like, so, <laughs> so it, it, was, it was a cool, a cool experience. Um, among the experiences also was being acquainted with the Jewish culture. We, we, we met a lot of Orthodox Jews. And for us, um, for many of us, unless you know someone who's Jewish by faith, you might know Jewish people by ethnicity, but by faith Jewish, um, what you come to understand is that Jewish people, the Jewish people believe in our Old Testament scriptures. Uh, they believe it firmly, um, but they reject Jesus as the deliverer, the Messiah. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that was really telling for us is the amount, we met so many people in this situation who, who are saying, hey, we love Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets. Yes, we're praying for Messiah to come. And I'm like, come again? Or like, no, to come, right? And because they're waiting for their deliverer to come and rescue them from the bondage of oppression and to reign in righteousness. But they don't accept that Jesus has done that, first of all, to deal with our sin. And so it was just, it was just something that was really um, striking and almost jarring. In fact, we heard from a lady named Phaedra Shapiro, who, uh, who, who works a lot with Jewish-Christian relationships. She's an Orthodox Jew. She does not believe in Jesus. But she works a lot with Christians to try to mend relationships to help uh, grow in our understanding of one another. And then she had, she had a, a, a talk that she gave to us, and it was a Q&A. And one of our students asked, so, like, so why don't you believe in the New Testament? She's like, well, we all have different understandings. Like, and then the student kind of pressed hard, but Jesus is, is shown all over the Old Testament, like from the book of Genesis, and he kept pressing harder. And then she's like, all right, you want to know I don't believe in Jesus? She said, I don't see deserts blooming. I don't see righteousness reigning on the earth. I don't see a kingdom established. And Christians will spiritualize it. And I was, it was so jarring to hear it. And she was, she was nice about it, but she's like, I don't see deserts blooming. The reason she says that in the book of Isaiah chapter 35, 
It says that when the Messiah, when the Deliverer, the Savior comes, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, and the deserts shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus, which is like a flower, like a rose. And she's like, that's not happening in our deserts. So why would Jesus be Messiah? When we heard this, I know, I know one thing that we just kept thinking, like, wow. When you come with a different set of expectations, you draw different conclusions. And I couldn't help but want to scream, but Jesus has done so much more than cause deserts to bloom. He saved us from sin. He will come back, and he will cause those deserts to bloom. He will establish his kingdom. He will reign as in righteousness. He will establish justice. He will be the king of kings forever and ever and ever. That will happen. But before we can enjoy those other things, some other things need to happen first. But, you know, as I heard about this, I kept thinking, you know, when we come to Jesus with different expectations, he will let us down when our expectations are off. And the truth of the matter is, The Orthodox Jews today are not any different than the Jews in the first century who had different expectations of Messiah. They were oftentimes misguided expectations because sometimes they were self-serving and Messiah is not doing this for me. Sometimes there were misinformed expectations where they had wrong uh, information. And sometimes they were just mistimed expectations. Jesus is like, I'm going to come back and do that, but that's not for the now, That's, that's for later. And I just want to ask you today, what what kind of expectations do you have of Jesus? What what kind of things do you bring to the table and say, God, this is what I want. And if God's not meeting those expectations, maybe in your heart, maybe subconsciously or maybe consciously, you're keeping God at arm's length because he's letting you down for your expectations. When the truth of the matter is, it's not him who is off, but it's your expectation. And some might say, but what is a God who just doesn't meet my expectations? And I want to propose to you, this is what we want to propose to you. Jesus not only came to, he he didn't come to meet your expectations. He came to exceed your expectations. And he has done that. And so when we look at God and say, God, you're not doing this and that and that, you got to understand the problem is that your expectations are too small of God. Because he has done something far greater than a lot of times we hold on to. We, We want God to deliver on Amazon Prime kind of timing, don't we? Right, like, I, I paid for my Prime. I need this in two days, God. And if it's in three days, I'm going to get that for free. I'm going to call. I'm going to complain, right? And we want God to be like, so we come with that expectations. God's like, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. For the, high, the heavens are higher than the earth, so, so my, my way is higher than yours. But what I want us to see here is that we can check our expectations and come to glory in how Jesus has exceeded those expectations. Marvel in his kindness. Worship him for what he has done. But I also want us to understand the ways, even in the first century, people missed what Jesus was doing. And in order to do that, we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 4. I'm going to, we're going to spend the rest of our time in the book of Luke. So we'd love for you to meet us there in your Bibles, Luke chapter 4. Uh, It's the third book of the New Testament, which is the second uh, portion of the Bible. It was Matthew, Mark, then Luke. There is a Bible there in a chair in front of you, a blue Bible. Um, You can open that one up. If you don't own a Bible at home, uh, what do we say, family, about that? Take it. Keep it. We want you to have that Bible on the real. If you don't own a Bible, take that one. 
because this is God speaking to us. And man, we just don't want to live life without his voice. And so if you don't have a Bible, take this one home. If you don't have a printed Bible, um, apps are good. Uh, you might have them. That's cool. That's cool. But get a printed Bible. You can't underline apps. And you can't smell them either, right? There's something about smelling. So Luke chapter 4, and we're going to talk about how Jesus, from the very beginning of his ministry, for some people, didn't meet their expectations, and others, they got it. We saw at Christmas, right, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. His family goes down to Egypt to hide from Herod, and then they come back and live in Nazareth. And then there in Nazareth, Jesus grows up, and then around the, about the age 30, uh, 30 years old or so, uh, Jesus begins his public ministry with being baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. Side note, Eric and I were able to baptize people in the Jordan River. Super cool. And one of our students' name was Jesus. Jesus? So, like, we baptized Jesus in the Jordan <laughs> River, y'all. Like, no. Um, so, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. And at that point, the Holy Spirit empowers him. Uh, he goes off into the wilderness that's tempted for 40 days comes back victorious. Notice that Israel, if you recall, in the Old Testament was in the wilderness for 40 years and they failed miserably. Jesus, as the true son of God, was tempted for 40 days and was one who did not fail, was perfect. Comes back and begins his public ministry of preaching the good news of the kingdom. And that starts in his hometown of Nazareth. So you can pick up with me. We're going to read Luke chapter 4. And I'll start in verse 14. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in all their synagogue and was praised by all. So news of Jesus was being being spread in, in Galilee. Verse 16, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Mm -hmm. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. And all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, No doubt you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done in Capernaum. Do here now in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you that in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Then he tells another story. And there were many leopards in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage. 
as they heard these things. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow, uh, to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he passed through their midst. He went his way. It's interesting. So right after the night that we heard Phaedrus Shapiro, who is the Orthodox Jew, who said, I don't see the, the land blooming, and I don't see all of these things. I know that you're thinking he's going to do that in his second coming, but, but that's exactly what she basically said yeah. to us. And I was scheduled to give this, this devotional on Mount Precipice, which is a mount right outside of Nazareth. Like you, on, the, on that mountain, you can see the city of Nazareth right beneath it. By the way, Louis, can you put up the, the Nazareth slide here? So you get a picture of Nazareth from standing on Mount Precipice. This is the picture of, of, of Nazareth itself. And our, our personal tour guide was saying how of all of the mount, mountains near, near Nazareth, none of them have a straight fall down the, the cliff except for this one. And so that's why this one is thought to be the one where they took him out of the synagogue and brought him up to a cliff because it would have been at this cliff that he wouldn't have just fallen and rolled down. It would have been this cliff that he would have fallen to his death because it's a very steep and high cliff. Let's get the next picture here. You see the cliff. So this is looking towards Nazareth, and now this is looking over the edge of the cliff, uh, Mount Precipice. Uh, next slide as well. You see a little more of the, the drop off from this cliff. Yeah, it's pretty, even incredible what you can see from this cliff. You can ask us later. But in giving this devotional, I thought, oh, my goodness, because I had already prepared to talk about how people had a specific expectation of Jesus, or, sorry, a specific expectation of the Messiah and a specific expectation of this passage that he opened up in Isaiah 61. And Jesus was not meeting those expectations, but it's interesting because in Luke, you find, you see right away, it says, right after Jesus spoke that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me and, he, and he's anointed me to preach to the poor and release to the captives, and he sits down and it says that he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing, that what happened? They became amazed at his gracious words. They were eager to hear. They were, they were uh, excited to hear what he had to say. They were amazed. Now, how do we get from amazed to let's take them up to this cliff? So as they're amazed, they say, isn't this the son of Joseph? Now, we could take that one of two ways. We, they, we can take that as they're saying, isn't this, isn't this the guy that's just from, you know, from here? Like, he's a nobody, you know? Or we can take it as, isn't this the son of Joseph? Knowing that Joseph, because in Matthew, it ta- tells us that Joseph is in the line of David. Now, they're expecting a, mes- a Messiah to come. Isn't this the son of Joseph? Joseph's in the line of David. Could this potentially be the Messiah? Could it be? Maybe it is. And so they're filled with, like, they, they said that they, they were amazed at his gracious words, okay? So after they say that, Jesus says, no doubt you're going to tell me, physician, heal yourself. And do the things that you've been doing in Capernaum. Because Jesus did much of his ministry in Capernaum. Because after this time in Nazareth, he never went back to Nazareth. But in, he, he says, no doubt you're going to tell me that. Like, don't just do things here, but also heal yourself. Which that comes to fulfill, right? On the cross, don't they say, you know, take yourself down from the cross. So 
Jesus tells them, you know, you guys have a lot in your, in your minds, right? Then he gives them two stories from the Old Testament. Would have been stories that they would have known. Why would those two stories have been enough for them to turn from, wow, look at these gracious words. Maybe he's the Messiah. To, let's take this dude and throw him off the only cliff that we know he's not going to survive. <laughs> he gives two examples in the Old Testament. He gives an example of, from Elijah and an example from Elisha. So in 1 Kings, he gives an example of Elijah. And it's not about Elijah, which is interesting, necessarily. It's about the widow to whom Elijah was sent. So Elijah was told that it was not, by God, he was a prophet, that it was not going to rain for three years. And, and it's true, it did not rain for three years. And then Elijah goes to a widow for some food because he had no, there was no more, there was no more food. There was no more water in the brook that God was feeding him from. So he goes, God tells him where to go to a widow. And I think she was from Sidon. She was from Sidon. And he goes to this widow. She, he says, you know, if you, if you provide for me, um, God will, you, your, your jar will never run dry until this drought is done. And she believes him in faith and that's exactly what happens. Two miracles are done for her, and her, also her son is healed. So that's just an example from the Old Testament, right? He also gives them an, Old Testament, uh, an example from Elisha. He, he says, um, he, Elisha, um, he gives them an example from um, Naaman, who was a, uh, a centurion, a captain of the army of the king of Aram. And he says, you know, Naaman was a, a leopard, uh, a leper, and Naaman went to Elisha, and Elisha told him how to be healed. And he believed in faith, and he went to the Jordan River seven times, and he was healed. Why was this so disturbing to them? These are Old Testament stories that they would have been accustomed to and known. It's not like they're like, you know, what are you talking about? They would have known these stories. But these stories were not emphasizing the faith of Jewish people. This story was emphasizing Gentiles. Gentiles who would come to faith. Gentiles who would now say, because I, I was looking at both of those stories, and in both of those stories, both of the, the, the widow and Naaman both say something like this at the end. This is specifically Naaman who says this. He says, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So both of them say something to that effect at the end of receiving, believing in faith and receiving what God had for them. And so... They had come to faith in the God of Israel. That was not what they were expecting. They were expecting the Messiah to come for them and potentially only them. So you're, you're telling me, Jesus, that you're going to come for enemies? You're going to come for, you're going to be there for the Romans who are over us? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no. That's not the Messiah that we're expecting. And so they take Jesus, so no longer are those words nice and gracious. They take Jesus out of the city. They take him on top of that hill with all the expectations to throw him out. And obviously we know it was not Jesus' time. Sorry. He was not going down like that. <laughs> and so it says that he, obviously he went another way. He, went, he just went another way. And so when we think about, like, what kind of expectations, like Jesus was blowing up all of their, their thoughts about who the mm -hmm. Messiah was going to be. Sure. And even when I think of this current a wise, orthodox woman with great intentions, but so blind to see that Jesus did not just come to make things bloom in the here and now. He came to make things bloom in our hearts. 
and you need a savior. And so just to think about what kind of expectations we have. You know, do I put Jesus in a box? What kind of things do I say, you know, Jesus is okay with this, or he's okay with that. And so I, we took some time on Mount Precipice just to have some alone time and to experience just some, you know, Jesus a lot of times often went away on a, on a hill to pray, be, be alone with God. And he says, and, you know, the psalmist says, where do, I look to the hills, where does my help come from? And so just to have a moment there, but to in that moment be thinking about what kind of expectations do we have sometimes of Jesus? And I know God was speaking to me because later I did a, a devotional like in, in the, on the Mount of Olives in Gethsemane. And, you know, the three times that Jesus says, you know, not my will, but your will be done. And he has his disciples with him. He comes back to his disciples and he's like, couldn't you stay praying with me for an hour? And he goes back and he does that three times and he's, and he's you know, disappointed with them. He's sad about their inability to do what he was asking them to do. And I was thinking, you know, sometimes I feel like when you're asking me to do something, Jesus, I'm like, you're okay, you're cool with it. And I realized, like, no, that disappoints his heart. You know, I, 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 so even, even in that, just seeing in, even in small ways, big ways, that sometimes my, what I expect of Jesus, I, I, I need to see him for who he is and who he says he is and, and believe that Jesus and not just the Jesus I want to think about, believe about, you know? Amen to that. That's good. Thank you. Um, so, so Jesus is there in Nazareth, and then he leaves. He leaves Nazareth and goes to Capernaum, the scripture tells us. Um, let's take a look at Luke chapter 4, verse 31. It says, that Then after this, he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his words possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, look at this question, what is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And you see in verse 38, and he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house, that's Simon Peter. And uh, Peter's mother-in-law was sick and Jesus heals her. Jesus leaves Nazareth where people had different expectations. It's kind of like they wanted to hoard Jesus for themselves. They, they wanted to keep, like, God, I, I want you for me. And they had a hard time when Jesus said, no, I'm, I'm here for Gentiles. I'm here for others. And so he goes into Capernaum, which is another city about three days' walk away from, from Nazareth, but still in the same region. I have a picture here of, of Capernaum. And it says that while he's here, he's in a synagogue. So see to the left, that's a synagogue. Um, that synagogue is not the one that Jesus was in. The one that he was in was destroyed, and this one was built on top of it. But the foundation of this one is still the foundation of the one that Jesus was in. Um, and to the right, you see kind of a light um, grayish structure. That's a, like a, kind of like a building that's built above Peter's house. So Jesus' walk from the synagogue to Peter's house was just a matter of feet, which is pretty, pretty wild. And there in the middle are different homes um, in, in ancient Capernaum. 
Jesus goes to the synagogue and he's teaching on the Sabbath. Which, by the way, Sabbath is a Saturday for, for, according to the Old Testament of Scriptures. It is a day of rest that God has established. And one of our cool experiences um, there in Israel was to be there during the Sabbath. Because, like, the Orthodox Jews legit practice Sabbath very strictly. Um, almost in some ways legalistic, honestly. Um, so one example of that, and there's more I'll share with you guys in a few weeks. Uh, we were staying at a hotel in, um, in Jerusalem, a Crown Point Hotel. And the hotel elevator, on the Sabbath day, um, you didn't have to press buttons because for the Jews, pressing buttons would be working on the Sabbath, and that's against the law. And so the elevator, you'd walk in, it takes you to the top floor, and there's like 23 floors in our hotel, and then it stops at every floor one at a time until it gets to the bottom, and it goes all the way up to the top and does it again. And so like if you're, <clears throat> if you're on the, you know, the third floor and you need to get down to the first floor, you got to ride the elevator up to the 23rd floor and stop each time before you get down to the first floor. That's, that's, that's some of the things that happen on the Sabbath. Um, and in Jesus' day, they had very strict Sabbath laws as well, which is why as he's teaching in the synagogue, teaching was not against the law, but uh, exercising or, or casting out a demon from a demon-possessed man was a matter of work. And these are the kind of things that Jesus did that angered the religious leaders because their expectation of the Messiah would be one who followed all of their own laws, even the laws that they set up. Their laws were misguided. Their standards were off because they weren't aligned with God's will ultimately. And here Jesus uh, delivers a man on the Sabbath. Now, what's so remarkable, I love how it says here in verse 32, they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. What they didn't realize, of course, was that Jesus not only taught with knowledge, but with authority. Uh, There are many teachers who have great knowledge. Even in Israel, I met a man who literally memorized the entire Old Testament. We had dinner at his house on the Sabbath. So there there are many people who know a lot, even in Jesus' day. But Jesus taught with authority because his words were grace and truth. His words were speaking as God himself who's established all good things. And here, they're sitting under Jesus' teaching. Imagine what that would have been like. And they ask the question in verse 36, what is this word? They're wondering. Again, they don't know who Jesus is. They're trying to get to understand him, his identity and their expectations. All of it is coming together here. And again, we're reminded and have to ask the question, what are our expectations of Jesus? In fact, throughout the book of Luke, people are asking questions because Jesus is breaking all of their molds. Let's take a look at some verses here. We're going to do some speed dial here. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus heals a man who is paralyzed, and he forgives the man's sins. And in verse 21, it says, The scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Again, he's rocking their expectations. Let's look at chapter 5, verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? He's breaking their expectations. Why are you spending time with uh, ungodly people, sinful people? Let's take a look at chapter 6, verse 2. Some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Jesus, you're not meeting our expectations here. 
You're doing the wrong things. And he angered them. Chapter 7, verse 19. Let's take a look at that. John the Baptist is arrested and is in prison. And even John the Baptist said, hey, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He himself is still wondering about, like, Jesus, like, is this all really what's happening? And in verse 19, calling two of the disciples to him, uh, to him, he sent them to Jesus saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? John the Baptist is like, are you the one that we are expecting? Is the, these are the expectation piece still in play. Chapter 7, verse 39, let's look at that. Jesus is spending time at a home of somebody and a woman who is known to be a prostitute comes in and begins to wash Jesus' feet. And in verse 39, now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said, that, uh, he said to himself, the Pharisee, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Again, breaking molds here. Even jumping down to verse 49 in the same passage. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Let's go to chapter 8, verse 25. I know we're looking at a lot. I just want to drive this home. That people, when they saw Jesus, what he was doing, when they heard what he was saying, they're like, man, I don't know about him. He, he's not what I expected. And for many, he angered them because of it which is why they did not believe and ultimately crucified him. Chapter 8, verse 25. Jesus is on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. Uh, I've got a picture of the Sea of Galilee, by the way. Let's pull this up here. Um, this was a pretty cool experience. We actually had a little boat cruise on the sea. This is a spot where uh, many believe that uh, Jesus talked to Peter, and when Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? And, Je and Peter says, you know I love you. He says, feed my sheep. And three times Jesus asks him because three times Peter denies him. And basically it's Jesus' way of saying, hey, I'm still going to use you, Peter. I still got plans for you. So at the Sea of Galilee, many wonderful things happen. But among them, Jesus calms the storm that his disciples are on a boat with him. And after he calms the storm, verse 25, they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and waters and they obey him? So you see, throughout Jesus' life, people just aren't sure what to do with him. They just don't know that his, the expectations are being twisted and turned, and they're like, what's going on here? And this happened throughout his life, even till the cross. Let's look at chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse 67. Jesus is there before a council of leaders, religious leaders. And they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. Like, they're like, stop keeping us in limbo here. Tell us. When Jesus had shown and told them in many different ways. And then they go on even asking, verse 70, are you the son of God then? Like, they, they, they're, they're wondering, but they're not hearing him out. So I, I point you to these because I want you to see that just as the, the Orthodox Jewish people that we met rejected Jesus because he didn't meet their expectations, even in his own day, there were people who said, we're not going to believe in you because we're confused about you. And I think there are a lot of us who are in that same boat where we, we hear a lot about Jesus, but we're pushing him away because he's not quite what we're expecting him to be. 
But I want you to see to these questions they, they ask because when, when John the Baptist's uh, disciples come to Jesus and ask, are you really the one? Jesus tells his disciples, says, go back and tell John this. Tell him what you see and what you hear. The lame are walking, the blind are seeing, and the weak are having the good news preached to them. It's like Jesus is saying, watch how I can heal people's physical conditions as a display that I've got the authority to heal their spiritual ones. Go, go back and tell John that. So when we look at the questions that were asked of Jesus, who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, he actually is God alone. Or why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Well, he actually came to save tax collectors and sinners. You hear me, fam? Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Well, he, he actually came to do what's good, even if it means breaking the Sabbath, because he's about doing what is right. Or when they say, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what sort of woman this will be. No, he actually is a prophet, and he knew very well who she was. And he came for people like her. Who then is this that commands even the winds and waters? Well, he's actually the one who made them, the winds and the waters. If you are the Christ, then tell us. He's been saying it. He's been showing you. If you are the Son of God, are you the Son of God then? Yes, he is is and he has shown it you see jesus didn't come to meet their expectations but in reality he came to exceed them and so they kept missing the mark because they did not have the right set of eyes he didn't come to do what they thought they needed he came to do what they he knew that they needed their agenda was misguided misinformed and even mistimed when I think about their failure to see Jesus, I think a lot of times we stand in the same boat. They were misguided. They wanted Jesus, the religious leaders in particular, to prop them up, to praise them, to, to point people to them. And Jesus, on the other hand, decided to put them on blast, show them their injustice, show them how they put yokes on people that they themselves cannot carry. And so what happens is a lot of times when we come to Jesus and we want him to prop us up, but our heart is in disarray, Jesus is like, I've come to expose your heart to show you you need me. And so I'm not meeting your expectation. I'm actually exceeding it because until your heart is dealt with, who cares what you're doing externally? It's, it's of no value. So maybe your expectations are misguided today and you need Jesus to put your heart on blast. And you need to know that when he does so, it is for your good. It is for your good because he wants to deal with that. All the sin that's in us. The Bible says sin is not just something we do. It's not just what we think, but it's what has, uh, who, what has tainted our being. We are born in sin. It is part of our broken identity that needs redemption. So when Jesus exceeded their expectation, he's saying, hey, I'm showing you the pathway for redemption. But they didn't want that. They wanted their own self-advancement. And if we are consumed with our own self-advancement, we're never going to see our need for redemption. So if he's putting you on blast, receive it and turn to him because that's the pathway to forgiveness of sins. So some were misguided. Others were misinformed. 
I think a lot of times the expectations we have of Jesus are off, just like many of their own days were, is because a lot of times we question him when we're facing hard times. Let's be real. A lot of us enter into the Christian faith with the expectation that life will get better, it's going to get easier, it's going to be smooth, and sometimes we look at it and say, is this the abundant life you're offering me, Jesus? And I love what Jeremy, Pastor Jeremy shared with us earlier. Jesus didn't promise a life free of adversity. But when we're misinformed about Jesus and what he came to do, we're going to have the wrong expectations of what he promises, and we're going to miss the mark entirely. Jesus says, you will face trials. Life's going to be hard. You will suffer. You want to see an example of that? Look at me on the cross. So we can't live life misinformed. We've got to be understanding of what Jesus came to do. And he actually came to tell us life's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. You will be rejected. One of the favorite things that we, one of my favorite moments, and I wish I had more time to interact in this, we met a, a Palestinian pastor who lives in Bethlehem. And he's not a Jewish by ethnicity. Um, he's, uh, he's Arab by ethnicity, but he's Christian by faith. And his best friend is an Orthodox Jew. So hear this, a Palestinian Arab Christian best friends with an Orthodox Jew. Yeah, yeah, let that sink in for a moment. And when this man shared about his faith and his, the adversity that he has faced as a Christian Arab man in Bethlehem amongst a widely Muslim population with a best friend that's Orthodox Jews living among many people who don't like the Jews, he's faced adversity. He's suffered. In fact, he brought with us his worship leader, um, and the, the man didn't know English. And all I, all I remember is, as this man was sharing with us, this Christian man was sharing with us, this pastor, he pointed down to his worship leader and said, uh, he said something to the effect of how our lives are so easy. He said, and this is, he mentioned his name, he doesn't know English, but you need to know he has suffered a lot for the cause of Christ. And I, I remember just our hearts just like, Lord, I can't even talk with this brother, but that's my brother. He's not misinformed. His expectations of Jesus is that Jesus offers abundant life, but that doesn't mean a life free from suffering. And so there they are able to testify about Jesus and his goodness with zeal and passion. And those who are with us will say, I mean, this, this, this brother was passionate about his faith, inspiring. But he's a man who's suffered. He was not misinformed. And so I want to tell you, family, if you're suffering, understand that Jesus has come to bring you through that. Yes, he brings healing in our sickness sometimes, but sometimes he doesn't. Many godly men and women will die of various illnesses. But God is faithful throughout the suffering. And so we can't be misinformed. We need to trust our God. We got to pray for for deliverance in adversity. We got to pray for just help and courage through it. And we need to understand that our expectations of Jesus are just that. He's going to sustain us. And he's faithful to do that. Because ultimately he's exceeded the expectation. And that brings me to my third point. Sometimes, not only are we misguided or misinformed, but we are sometimes mistimed in our expectation. We want life that's free and that, that's without any, any hardship. And even uh, as we heard, I heard this woman saying, I don't see the deserts blooming. She's longing for something that Jesus promises to do, but he says, I got to do something else first, and that's deal with sin. As Erica and I were talking, we're like, but you're still in your sins. You're still in your sins. I was, I was thinking, what joy are blooming deserts 
if I am dead in my sin? What, what delight is him reigning in righteousness if I am an object of his wrath? What pleasure is a present life of ease if eternal separation awaits me? See, what Jesus is saying, yes, this eternal life is going to be great. I'm going to establish my kingdom. I'm going to reign as a king on this earth. And at that time, I will wipe away every tear. I will take away death. I will take away suffering. I will be the just judge of the earth. And all people will come and worship me. And we long for that. But Jesus said, you can't be with me in that second coming if I didn't come to do things the first time and deal with the sin that separates you from that. So Jesus is like, I didn't come to meet your expectations. If you expected life that's going to be free and all that, that's, that's not, I came to deal with sin. I, I came to deal with the very thing that separates you from God. And what Jesus did was he lived the perfect life and went to the cross, the punishment you deserved. I love that just yesterday our son asked us, why, why did Jesus have to fully die? Why could not, when they pierce, like about to pierce him, just right there, forgive everybody, and then it's over. And I, and I love that Erica just said, well, why do you think that? And she pulled Jesus on him, like, asked him a question back at him. And, and Lucas said, well, in the Old Testament, an animal needed to be sacrificed for them to be forgiven. And then, like, and at the cross, Jesus was our sacrifice. And truly, he was once for all. And that has to happen for us to enjoy all the other benefits that await us. This is, this is how Jesus exceeds all we've wanted. So we, we've got to understand the depth of our depravity, the depth of our separation for us to then appreciate the magnitude of the redemption. If we don't realize we're broken and lost, then what good is Jesus is coming? But when we realize, God, I'm so far from you, all the things that I'm doing, I'm trying to do the right thing, I keep falling on my face, I keep sinning, I keep rejecting you, I keep doing the wrong things, God, I need forgiveness, and Jesus comes to bring it, hallelujah. He brings redemption to us. But the last thing I want to point out to us here, and then I'll, I'll, I'll be done, is that Jesus didn't meet their expectations But it's not like he didn't do what he said he was going to do. It's not like the Old Testament is not saying that Jesus was supposed to come the way he did. He's not doing a Jesus juke on them. You ever heard about a Jesus juke? Promise one thing and give another? Jesus is saying, no, I told you in the Old Testament that in my first coming, I was going to do the very thing that I come to do. You just missed it. Let's look at Luke chapter 24. After Jesus dies on the cross and raises from the dead, he begins to reveal himself to different people. And word gets around that he's alive. And there are two men who are walking from Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus. And while they're on that road, the resurrected Jesus meets them on the road, but God blinds them so they can't see that it's really Jesus. And in chapter 24, verse 25, Jesus says to them, because they're all panicked, they're like, what's going on? We don't know about him. He was dead. Some are saying he's alive. Jesus says in chapter 24, verse 25, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and, and, and come and enter into his glory? Jesus is saying, like, 
This was always part of the plan. Let's look at verse 45. Actually, I'm sorry, verse 44. Talking to his other disciples after his resurrection from the dead. He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on a third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. What Jesus is telling them is, your expectations are off because you didn't read your Bibles right. Because if you read the law of Moses, if you look at the Psalms, if you look at the prophets, you're going to see that, like from Genesis 3, that, does, that Satan will strike my heel, but I will strike his head. You're going to see that I'm going to suffer. You're going to see how the Psalms say that the Holy One will die, but he will not be left to decay because he's going to raise from the dead. You would see that Psalm 22 says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're going to see how Isaiah 53 says that he was lamb, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And through his suffering, there is healing from sin. Jesus is like, I came to do the very thing I said I was coming to do. So Jesus fulfilled his promises. So I need to ask you, family, in closing, what did you expect with Jesus? What are you expecting? And are your expectations at all misguided, misinformed, or mistimed? And I just want to plead with all of us, let's not put God into our box, our Amazon Prime mentality. Let's say, God, I'm looking at Jesus, and I realize maybe you haven't met some of my, my fleshly expectations. But God, you've done so much more, nothing less than that. Because through Jesus' death on the cross and faith in him and in his resurrection, we're forgiven. We can have eternal life with God. So his first coming accomplished far more than anything many people have ever dreamed of. And the good news is, family, he's coming back. And he'll usher us into eternity through faith in him. If you're here today and you've not put your faith in Jesus, you must understand that you remain separated from God. These are the cold and hard truths, but the truths of the Bible. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, saying, Jesus, forgive me for my sins and live for him, you remain in your sins. You remain as an object of God's wrath. But understand, Jesus came to bring forgiveness, and he offers that to you today. My prayer is that you would say, Jesus, forgive me. I turn my life to you, and that you would become a Christian and live for Jesus. And family, for the rest of us, let's just marinate in the beauty of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Let's just glory in his work, his finished work. And man, let's long for his return when all things will be made new. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, what, what a joy it is just to talk about your son. And God, I know that um, all of us here have come at different times with varying expectations of Jesus. And sometimes, God, honestly, I know I've been disappointed, God. I've, 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 I've uh, put you to a standard. I, I've, I've wanted you to do things for me that I thought were best. And in your wisdom, you didn't choose to grant me those things. Lord, I know sometimes those things hurt. But, Lord, ultimately, I do know, Lord, that you're good. 
You know what's best. And you've given me far more in saving me from my sins, adopting me into your family, clothing me with Jesus' righteousness so I could be with you forever. Father, I pray, Father, for everyone in this room who knows you, that, Lord, that we would just delight in this. God, for those who are not following you today, God, I pray that they would turn away from their sins, that they would, would repent, they'd ask you for forgiveness, they invite your Holy Spirit to fill them, to, to, to indwell them, that they would change their lives and live for you by your power, God, and not by their own. And God, I, I even sense, Lord, I just want to remind a brother or sister out there, God, you tell us that we are not supposed to get our act together and then come to you. We come to you all jacked up, and by your Spirit's power, you get our lives in order following you. So I pray for that brother or sister who feels like they got to get their life in order. I pray that they would just come to you, Lord, and say, God, I can't do it without you. We love you. We celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty and that our Savior is risen, just like he said he would do. I pray this in his name. Amen. Family, let's rise up to our feet. And I want to invite our prayer team. Um, please come on, make your way down here. Family, we just want to invite you to come forward to pray. Pray with one of our prayer team members. I want to invite you also to pray here at the steps. If you want to take a physical step toward acknowledging something that Jesus is doing in your heart. Maybe it's a choice you're making. Maybe it's a decision he's impressing on you. I think sometimes we could take a step forward as an expression of our agreement with God. So if you want to come forward and kneel at the altar and just pray that out to God, come and do that. And of course, our prayer team members are here excited and eager to pray with you for whatever burden you carry.